The following is a reading of a poem titled Leper's Song, which was written by a native poet from the leper colony on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. When, oh when, shall it be given to me to behold my God? When, oh when, shall the captivity of my wretched soul cease in this strange land where night and day weeping Weeping alone is my portion. When, oh, when shall I leave this valley of sorrow, where the only bread I eat is continual tears? When, oh, when shall I see my beloved Lord? Prince of the heavens is he, guardian of my soul, my hope, my savior, my all. And if you wish to learn more about that leper colony of Molokai and a wonderful saint who ministered to the people there, then stay tuned and listen for more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Smoking with the Saints podcast. I'm Michael, your host, and today I have a great saint to be talking about. I am so excited to be talking about him, and it is none other than Saint Damien of Molokai, or better known as Father Damien. So this is a Belgian priest who went on a mission to Hawaii and eventually onto the leper colony of Molokai. And today uh, we're going to be using the book, The Spirit of Father Damien, The Leper Priest, A Saint for Our Times, by Jan de Volder, who is a, a Belgian. And uh, it is fitting that he would write this book. And it's uh, put up by Ignatius Press. And awesome book. Highly recommend that you get it because there are going to be a lot of details, a lot of wonderful stories that I won't be able to cover on this podcast. So you should definitely support the work, support the offer, and buy it. But this is a an interesting saint to be covering because he is considered a, a model, kind of the first celebrity saint uh, in the Catholic Church, or at, least, or at least worldwide considered to be the first celebrity saint. And, you know, what is that? So that's characterized by, the author notes, intense coverage in the mass media, acclaim across religious and ideological lines, an ambivalent relationship with authority figures, and scandal or purported expose which generates a vigorous defense. So very much in our modern media age with newspapers, with TV, with all sorts of, of forms of communication, the the portrayal of these holy men and women is is you know now being broadcast across the world so you have these different patterns that you see in it and uh you know i think you know maybe mother teresa would be another example so this is it's quite an interesting study um but anyways getting into the book itself uh, we're going to start with of course the beginning of father damien's life and i might i might say saint damien i might say father damien i might just say damien so that's just all referring to St. Damien of Molokai. Uh, but without further ado, getting into the book itself. So his full name is Joseph de Wooster. And uh, going into the book says, 
Joseph de Wooster was born on January 3rd, 1840, the seventh child and fourth son of Franz de Wooster and Anne Catherine Cato Wooters. And uh, when he was born, he was born into uh, this, this family that lived in uh, Belgium. And Belgium is a country in Europe that's uh, a little bit on the it's it's on the northern side of of France and it's between France and the Netherlands, and so you have uh, this mix of of French and then uh, Flemish or Belgium in that area, and the uh, the 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 family itself um, is described in the book living in a, a little hamlet uh, be, uh, called Ninde uh, between Tremelo and Werchter in the province of Brabant, about six miles from Louvain. His parents had known one another since childhood and had married in the summer of 1829. They were not entirely uneducated, as it is known that they had to flee from the boarding schools they were attending at the time of the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. At the time of their marriage, Franz recognized the two daughters already born to Cato. In that era, Christian circles also saw out-of-wedlock births. Marriages followed if and when financial means permitted. During the first years of their marriage, the couple lived with Franz's parents, his father a merchant, and his mother an innkeeper. Franz, too, was more a merchant than a farmer, regularly away from home, seeking buyers for his agricultural produce. Now, Jeff de Wooster grew up a child as vivacious as he was devout, and consciousness was not his strong suit. Uh, and there were some interesting notes that I learned about from the early life that's described in the book. So another section that kind of details his, his uh, character is generosity and helpfulness. Uh, the, there were numerous stories that attest to how, as a child and adolescent, uh, Jeff de Wooster, or Damien, was always ready to assist others, staying through the night with a neighbor, uh, with a neighbor woman's sick cow, or giving away his sandwich to a schoolmate who looked hungry, or who pretended to be, just to try to get that extra sandwich. Um, and... Kind of to give you a picture of the world that Damien was living in. So it was a rapidly changing world. You had Belgium as one of the leading countries in Europe for the adoption of the Industrial Revolution. So this is the, the early to mid-1800s. And uh, at this time, you have the Industrial Revolution that's spreading you have the implementation of factories and machines that are able to produce at a high volume goods and, and produce. And you have things such as the, the steam engine, railroads. And uh, in Belgium itself, in 1830, there was a revolution that established a constitutional monarchy with liberal freedoms, so freedom of the press, and it allowed the church to name bishops freely. And uh, around 1840, back to the book, the year of Damien's birth, Belgium was known not only as the most liberal state of Europe, but also as the most Catholic country north of the Alps. 
And I think just to note on the term liberal, I think that's t- the, the term nowadays, especially in the United States, has taken on a very different meaning to talk about a, a specific political party or, or point of view. But I think at the time, the, the term liberal uh, was, was meaning something different. It didn't have that same connotation. So just something uh, important to point out. Uh, let's see. So a large volume with stories of saints and martyrs written in Old Flemish and printed in Gothic letters served as a regular reading for the, for the children that Cato would read to them. So, uh, so Cato would regularly read from this book, which the children enjoyed. Jeff would have had a preference for the story of Cosmos and Damien, the brother physicians who died as martyrs in 303. The Legends of the Saints, which at the time was a popular book throughout Flanders, observes regarding these two saints, quote, They became excellent medical doctors, curing many people more through divine than through human skill. Their eyes were not fixed on temporal gain, and they did not cure for money, but only for the mercy and love of God, through whose power they cured. And the author asks this question, Did his child's heart already begin to long for a great and holy life? In any case, it is known that Jeff once arrived late to school with three of his brothers and sisters because they had stopped in the woods along the way to pray like real hermits. Folks, in this industry, this is what we call foreshadowing. Uh, yes, Cosmos and Damien. Oh, for sure. I can definitely see the inspiration for, for Father Damien there. Uh, so moving on, kind of getting into how, how Jeff de Wooster becomes Father Damien. So uh, his brother, Auguste, who was two years older than him, left to become a novice in the French Congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. Jeff was 13, the age at which he, the less able student in the family, was taken out of school to help on the farm. Some of the children had to ensure the future of the small family business, and this was a life that seemed to be in store for the strong, broadly built, healthy youngster. When Jeff was 14, his sister Eugenie died of typhus in the convent. She had contracted the disease while preparing a sick girl for her confirmation. This was the second sister whose death he had known, following the death of his youngest sister, Marie. Illness and death were part of young Jeff's life. He also saw how his favorite sister, Pauline, reacted to Eugenie's death. She immediately offered to take her place in the convent. The example of his sisters must have made an impression on the boy. In his heart, too, the desire grew to devote his life to the sick and take their yoke on his shoulders. When Jeff was 17, his favorite brother, Auguste, entered the novitiate of the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts, also called the Picpus Fathers. Thereafter, he was known as Pamphile. Then, the opportunity came when he was 18. In the spring of 1858, his parents sent him temporarily to a boarding school in Bran-le-Comte to improve his poor knowledge of the French language. That would be useful later in life, his father believed, and definitely in business. Now, uh, even though he wasn't a good student before this, 
he had, I think one of his qualities and, and character traits is that he had a strong work ethic. He worked hard. If there was something that he didn't have a natural talent at, he just put in sheer force of will and effort to get better at it or to get something done. So this is what he did at that school. He studied hard, and uh, the, the author notes similarly um, something else about, about Joseph de Wooster or Father Damien, saying that, uh, that seizing the opportunity was a constant in his life. Joseph de Wooster was someone with a nose for kairos, or the opportune moment. He seized this opportunity with both hands. Now, in the summer of 1858, Joseph stayed with Pamphile in Louvain. Pamphile enjoyed teaching his inquisitive younger brother, helping him improve further in his French, a language which the Fleming was never really comfortable in. Then, on February 2nd, 1859, Joseph received the habit as Brother Damien. So, uh, Damien in 1858 had gotten a strong calling to the religious life from different talks and lectures that he went to, and so he decided to join them. And so he joined the Congregation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and Mary, or the Picpix Fathers, along with his, his brother Pamphile, who went in earlier on that date, so February 2nd, 1859. And this congregation, this order, had a missionary and spiritual depth focus. So they had a couple missions across the world, worldwide, and so you can see how this is leading Father Damien to, to Hawaii and to eventually the leper colony of Molokai. Now moving forward, uh, author notes that being mainly interested in what could be put into practice he was not one for theoretical discussions. His intellect needed things to be concrete. After a conference, he once carved into his wooden bench the key words, silence, recollection, presence of God. That insight which today can still be viewed in the house in which he was born and raised, now the Damien Museum, resulted in a rare scolding. So, that's uh, that's funny. You. I don't know. I I don't know if I would scold him too hard for that. You know, he's he's uh, he has the right heart. He has the right frame of mind, and uh, I can also relate to his his desire to be practical in all in all parts. Because you can talk the big talk and go on all these long discussions about things, but you know, what are you actually doing with your life? What are you doing in the world to bring forth that that good thing that you're talking about? But anyways, back to the book, uh, going, talking more about his novitiate. So, he usually chose the difficult time from 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning to do his weekly hour of nightly adoration, making it a point of honor not to return to bed afterward. He often slept on the floor rather than in his bed and tried to eat moderately, regularly abstaining from meat. His time at prayer in the chapel, including at night, exceeded the prescribed amount. Occasionally, the typical student talk of his fellow novices irritated him. He thought such talk unworthy of future servants of the Sacred Hearts and made this explicitly clear. So, how did he get to Hawaii? Well, eventually he was brought in officially into the congregation in 1860. And 
he had a strong desire to not only be in the congregation as a as a brother, but to serve in the congregation in the missionary life. So the author notes that during his studies, he prayed daily before an image of St. Francis Xavier, apostle of the Far East, his great exemplar. The most distant coasts and unexplored areas spoke most to his imagination. In Paris, he once heard Bishop Tepano Yusson, the apostolic vicar of Tahiti, speak about the needs of the mission in Polynesia. Those words touched him and kept him under their spell. Without delay, he tested his parents' view. And uh, eventually, Pamphile, his brother, was chosen to go to the Order's Hawaii mission. But he was sick and due to a, a, due to a typhus epidemic that had broken out in Belgium. And he was taking care of the sick, and that's how he caught it. So uh, Damon immediately asked his superior to go in his place, and he eventually got approval. And he was ecstatic. He was jubilant. And he even poked fun at his brother. Uh, quote, uh, Damien rushed to his brother's sickbed and proclaimed jubilantly, I am to go instead of you. I am to go instead of you. <laughs> this is so, this is so, this is such a brotherly move to make. It's just to, just to mock your brother and make fun of him that you get to do something that he can't. <laughs> this is, this is so perfect. So I can uh, definitely relate to this. Oh, that's great. I'm to go instead of you. <laughs> just making fun of his brother that way. So anyways, back to his eventual arrival in Hawaii. So he left October 23rd in 1863 and it, um, and five months he, he, it took for him to get there. And on the voyage, he studied English and he uh, maintained a rigorous prayer life to, to uh, not fall into, um, not fall out of habit. Now, at the time, on Hawaii, they had a, a main mission on uh, at Honolulu, where the main island was. And uh, the author notes that, Thus it was an urgent matter for the Catholic Church to send more workers into the field. Bishop Louis Magret, the apostolic vicar of Honolulu, wasted no time. Damien was ordained a subdeacon after one week on the island, then a deacon. And on May 21st, a priest, barely two months after his arrival. And he was 24 years old at the, at the time of his ordination. So he's getting put right into action. They need priests. They need guys on the front lines. And so he jumps in with both hands. And uh, just a description of, of his, his first missionary work and experience on Hawaii on the main island. So the author notes, quote, Damien was immediately thrown into the missionary's existence, which differed greatly from his life as a novice. Instead of a tranquil, hidden life, one has to get used here to traveling over land and sea by horse and by foot. And that's uh, Father Damien remarking at the end of 1864 in his annual letter to his superior general. He continues on saying, Instead of strict observance of the rule of silence, one has to learn to speak a variety of languages with a variety of people. Instead of being directed, one has to direct others. And most difficult of all is to maintain amid a hundred and one miseries and trials the spirit of meditation and prayer. 
Damien had discerned correctly that the last of these would prove to be his greatest inner struggle throughout his life as a missionary. And continuing on, for eight years he lived in Kohala, Hamakau, where there was perhaps 3,000 Hawaiians, half of whom were Catholic. He had a little wooden church and a rectory with a thatched roof, but in reality he was nearly always traveling. He carried the church on his back, as he said, four poles to set in the ground, a board to put on top, and an altar cloth formed his traveling altar. The faithful were called to Mass with a conch shell. Damien's superiors were pleased by his unrelenting dedication, though at times they considered him too driven. He made quick decisions, went on baptizing and building, and sometimes made his superiors feel that he outpaced them. Damien also learned the local language of the Kanaks, as the indigenous population of Hawaii was called. And uh, just a note about his, his nickname that he was given by the Hawaiians. So, Hawaiian lacks the dental consonants D and T. So, Damien's name became Kamiano, with a K. It was his second name change, and this time he did not choose it himself. But that did not make his new name less dear to him. Quite the contrary. He wrote to his parents in March 1865, quote, Our poor islanders rejoice when they see Camiano coming, and I, for my part, love them very much and would willingly give my life for them like our divine Savior. Like most Catholic missionaries of that time, he saw his mission in intense competition with that of the Protestant heretics, who did not kneel while praying, and who distributed the local kalo, made of taro root, instead of bread for communion. In the initial years of his mission, Damien saw the rivalry with Protestants almost as a game. For instance, in a letter to Pamphile, he mentioned, full of pride, that he had scaled a 2,000-foot-high mountain in three-quarters of an hour, while it took the Protestants' best climber at least two hours. A few times, Damien had to guard himself. Damien, who constantly traveled as part of his pastoral work, was frequently invited by the hospitable inhabitants to spend the night in their homes. He often accepted, but if he was not entirely sure of the female company or himself, he preferred to spend the night outside, which he did more than once. So now we can bring in the leprosy epidemic that was happening on Hawaii. So around the time that Father Damien was there, there was a large epidemic that had started on one island and had spread across them with the mortality rate increasing. So back to the book. According to official health policy, victims of the epidemic had to be quarantined. To accomplish this goal, a colony of leprosy sufferers was founded in 1866 in Kalawau on the island of Molokai. Damien had witnessed a couple of his parishioners being sent there. He looked on the effects of the disease with sadness. The population was steadily declining. If things kept evolving this way, the Kanak population would be threatened with extinction. It troubled Damien that he so often arrived too late to give the last sacraments, perhaps depriving his faithful of the opportunity to safeguard their souls. But above all, he witnessed the tragedy of forced segregation, which tore many families apart. And just an interesting note, he he had correspondence with his 
brother and his family, and in one note to his brother who was getting a doctorate in theology, he made fun of him as 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 getting into the tidy life as a professor. So he uh, he notes that instead of being a poor missionary among the savages, there you are climbing another rung of the career ladder. So you can definitely tell that he was not impressed by the the academic credentials and, and, and life of a of a high doctor of, of theology or whatever. He was uh, practical, wanted to get his hands in the dirt and do work. So Damien, he had heard the, the wretched conditions on the island of Molokai uh, by the bishop and newspapers. And so he had, so there was an opportunity that came up in the spring of 1873. So the bishop, Bishop McGrett, he had saw the need for having a priest go and minister to the people there. So he asked for volunteers since it was a a dangerous mission in the fact that the priest could become infected with leprosy. So he had volunteered along with a couple others, and the other priests uh, were Gulstan Roper, Boniface Schaefer, Rupert Latter, and of course Damien de Wooster. And Damien was the uh, first chosen, so they were going to go on a rotation of three months each, and he was chosen to be the first one. And so this is what he wanted, this is what his calling was. And so now we're moving on to his start at the island of Molokai. Uh, I did want to give a brief history about Hawaii and, and uh, you know, how, how it came to be that there was a mission of Catholics there. So, Hawaii consists of a total of 137 volcanic islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, with eight main islands. They were inhabited from the 5th century by Polynesian population groups. Possibly the Spanish landed already in the 16th century, but the famous 18th century explorer James Cook counts as the official European discoverer. He called the archipelago the Sandwich Islands. In 1779, he died on the islands in a hand-to-hand fight with the natives. In 1810, all the inhabited islands were subjugated under a single ruler, King Kamehameha I, from 1758 to 1819. Despite its strategic location, its increasing immigration, and the expansion politics of the great powers, the kingdom managed to remain an independent state for most of the 19th century. Gradually, the native Hawaiian population became a minority on the archipelago. And uh, going back to Father Damien and him landing on Molokai. So, he landed on Molokai on Saturday, May 10th, 1873. So, what is, you know, what, what is the island of Molokai? What, what does it uh, consist of? So, it's one of the eight uh, larger Hawaiian islands, and it's located between the island of Oahu, where the capital Honolulu lies, and the island of Maui. From the eastern and southern sides of Molokai, you can see the neighboring islands. The, ne- the leprosy colony did not cover the whole of Molokai, but only a small northern peninsula. It was named Kalawapapa, after the landing place, but the largest village was then Kalawau. The peninsula was a well-chosen place of isolation on three sides. It was surrounded by a turbulent ocean, on the land side, it was cut off from the rest of the island by a towering cliff called a pali. Now, this cliff rose up as a 2,000-foot-high wall. 
For much of the day, it blocked the sunlight from Kaluluwao, as though that part of the island, that part of the peninsula, was in the shadow of death. It was possible to go by land from the peninsula to the rest of Molokai, but you had to climb the steep and often slippery slope along a hacked, zigzagging trail. But that was not a problem for a strong person like Damien, but for the sick, it was impossible. For those with leprosy, the colony was a natural prison from which no escape was possible. And just to illustrate that point, you know, just imagine any mountain here in the U.S., uh, say Mount Washington, which is, it's it's much taller, but I guess maybe, you know, Mount Monadnock, where it's, you know, having to climb up, imagine having to climb up Mount Monadnock, you know, more than 2,000 feet, just to be able to get to one side of the island while you're sick, while you have leprosy, it's almost impossible. So, you know, what was Damien's preparation like? What was he thinking about? So the author notes that Damien had prepared for the worst, but his first encounter with the leprosy colony was even more shocking than anticipated. The 500 lepers in the colony were in a very bad condition. Many were in the final stages of leprosy, their hands, feet, and faces horribly maimed. The festering sores and lumps caused by the disease emitted an unbearable stench. Every day someone died of the disease. The body of the unfortunate victim was wrapped in an equally foul blanket on which the person had been lying. The wrapped body was hung by a pole and carried away by a few chosen lepers who still had sufficient strength. Often it happened that the dead were not buried deeply enough, and at night wild pigs would dig open the graves and eat the rotting flesh. Even the graves that were not ripped open spread a suffocating odor. Practical and down-to-earth as he was, Damien, with the inventiveness of love, found a way to control his disgust at the stench of the sick. Looking back years later, he recalled these first days. Many a time in fulfilling my priestly duties at their domiciles, I have been obligated not only to close my nostrils, but to remain outside to breathe fresh air. As an antidote to counteract the bad smell, I got myself accustomed to the use of tobacco. Whereupon the smell of the pipe preserved me somewhat from carrying in my clothes the noxious, the obnoxious odor of our lepers. And uh, I think uh, that that's why another reason why I'm excited to talk about Father Damien is he was a pipe smoker, you know, and uh, it came in handy f- for his work on Molokai and his, and his ministering as it helped to... Uh, prevent him from becoming sick from the smell, to, to have a, a, a sweeter-smelling smell that he could have while he was working and, and living on the island, and probably to provide him some form of relaxation and relief. So uh, definitely very useful. Now, talking more about the, the other conditions of the island and the, the horrible situation that it was in. So, quote, a great moral per- permissiveness resulted. Many of the sick turned to drink, opium, and sexual orgies. What meaning did their wretched lives have, after all? Better to forget everything and seek as much pleasure as possible. Now, going back in time a little bit to the origin of leprosy on Hawaii. So, it spread in the 1860s, and the cause of it at the time was unknown. Now, it spread so quickly 
that, you know, at the beginning they were bringing in the patients to the Honolulu Hospital, but it was starting to infect the doctors and other patients there. So in 1866, the Board of Health on Hawaii quarantined and forcibly sent any leprosy patients to Molokai. And some some people, because they were essentially sentenced to death on the island, because uh, once you had lep- leprosy, there was there was no cure. There was nothing that could that could uh, resolve it. So uh, unfortunately, this resulted in some patients uh, wounding a doctor with a gun. Some tried to run run away and hide, and there would be forced separation of families. So it was horrible. Now the some of the directions that Damien was given at the time was to you know. Do not touch the lepers. Do not allow them to touch you. Do not eat with them. This was the advice that was given to him. But he knew that if he was going to really provide charity and love for these people, that he had he had to interact with them. He had to he had to show them love through through touching them, through um, you know hugging them, and he had to get up close and personal to do the work to be Christ to them. And so um, so he did it. So he blessed the dying. He embraced the sick. He ate with them. He even shared his pipe with them. And and he was inspired by Christ and he had he was all in. You know, he was not he was not planning to come back to some other life. This was his life. He was he was inspired by Christ to to make a sacrifice of himself. And the author notes that that was the spirit of Damien. It had nothing to do with a progressive or conservative interpretation of the scriptures. It had to do with the imitation of Christ, the loving, self-giving for the least of his brothers. And the author goes on to note a comparison between Damien and Francis of Assisi. So he says, quote, For Damien, the overcoming of his revulsion, a long and difficult struggle, was part of his conversion. He had the experience of St. Francis, who, on the road of Assisi, had met a man suffering from leprosy. Despite the disgust he felt, the young Francis embraced and kissed the man. Quote, when I was in sin, the sight of the lepers was too bitter for me, and the Lord himself led me among them, and I pitied and helped them. And when I left them, I discovered that what had seemed so bitter to me was changed into sweetness in my soul and body. Quote, Francis wrote in his testament. Author continues, Although there is much that distinguishes Damien and Francis, Damien had the same experience on Kaluau. What instinctively filled him with disgust quickly became for him a life task. In those mutilated bodies, he saw the suffering Lord. Quote, As you did it to one of the least of these brethren, you did it to me. And who was less than the nearly dead, those exiles from the land of the living? Even that first week, Damien decided that he would remain on Molokai. He let his superior Modeste Favins know by letter, quote, I send you this letter via the schooner Waniki that, uh, to let you know that from now on there has to be a permanent priest in this place. Boats loaded with the sick arrive here. Many die. I sleep under the Puhala while I wait for the wood to build a rectory to your approval. Please send me blah, 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 blah. You know my availability. I would like to sacrifice myself for the poor lepers 
the harvest seems ripe here. Now, as he's doing his work on the island, word began to spread to the rest of the islands on Hawaii about Father Damien, and mostly it was received with praise, but it also was received with critique from some people like Protestant pastors there. But anyways, so continuing on, Damien quickly started with fixing the the physical and spiritual problems on the island with the lepers. So some of the notable things that he did, he set up a cemetery and he built coffins and he taught respect for the dead, did burials for them and praying for the dead to the inhabitants there. He also administered the sacraments to the people and he also worked with the Protestants there and helped them. He did not just he did not segregate them or he didn't uh, just only care for the Catholics, but he also helped out any person there who was in need of help. And he built a house near the church. And one thing that I'm impressed with is his his carpentry skills and his ability to just build, build, and construct these these critical infrastructure on the island. It's it is impressive. He was a one man construction company. Uh, so continuing on. Uh, quote, in the first months of his stay on Molokai, Damien twice went to Honolulu. That afforded him the opportunity not only to make his confession and to consult with his superiors, but also to thank the sisters for the assistance that they had sent, especially in the form of clothing for the lepers. The Board of Health disapproved of these trips, though. Damien had broken the quarantine law. No exceptions could be allowed. The missionary was explicitly forbidden to leave the island again. Damien, a non-leper, had become de facto an exile with the exiles. Quote, we lepers had acquired a new meaning. By the end of the year 1873, his first on Molokai, Damien wrote a reassuring letter to his parents and brothers. Quote, I live in a small house and have an old man to do my cooking. My food consists of meat and rice, sometimes a little bread and milk. Luckily, every day a good cup of coffee. Although this cruel leper disease of my spiritual children or parishioners is contagious, my health remains the same. And he enclosed his letter with a sentence that today can be read on his tomb in the Louvain crypt. Quote, I find my greatest happiness in serving the Lord in his poor and sick children who are rejected by others. Now, before we move on to the rest of his story, I did want to note on leprosy and you know what it is, what are the characteristics and symptoms. So just to give you an idea of, of how horrific a disease and debilitating it is. So, quote in the book, he gives a little description saying that leprosy is an infectious disease caused by the leprosy bacillus Mycobacterium leprae. The bacterium was discovered in 1873 the very year Damien set foot on Molokai by the Norwegian physician Gerhard Amoir Hansen. In the Anglo-Saxon world, leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease. Infection is manifested first by colored lumps or spots on areas with many bacilli. Eventually, the nerves are affected and numbness occurs. Untreated wounds start to fester and can lead to disfigurement. Leprosy bacilli concentrate in the cool extremities of the body such as the ears and nose. Blindness is also common because the patient can no longer close his eyes. 
In the 1880s, a, an effective cocktail of drugs, dapsone, clafazine, and rifampicin, among others, had been developed. Today, leprosy is easily treated, but the problem remains of diagnosing disease early enough before deformity and disability occurs. So, moving back to Damien's story, giving a uh, more details on what he was doing. So, his, his work was split between the physical acts of charity and then the spiritual acts of charity, caring for the physical and then for the spiritual side of the people there. So, quote says, Damien took care of all the material needs of his people, the food and water supplies, clothing and housing, for which his carpentry skills came in extremely handy. And although assisting the dying and burying the dead were his daily tasks, he was also profoundly concerned with the suffering bodies of the sick. For instance, he actively sought out the latest medicines and therapies, which, while not offering a cure, did provide some mitigation of the suffering. And on the spiritual side, the author notes that Damien entered the battle against meaninglessness, emptiness, and despair. He made sure that they did not waste their lives by surrendering to idleness, drunkenness, and an unrestrained lifestyle. If necessary, he could become very angry, but he also offered them alternatives. He taught them to take better care of themselves and of others. He reconciled them not only with one another, but with God. Through his pastoral work, his sermons, the liturgies of which he presided, and the sacraments he administered, he taught his flock that each one of them was valuable in the eyes of God. He also taught them that their lives did not come to an end with death, which gave meaning to their lives and deaths. So, just to go on to the go on further about the incredible works of mercy that he did on the material side of things Damien lobbied for more milk cans and taught people to plant and how to tend gardens he built a water system that had pipes and a reservoir uh, before they had to walk a long way to get to the foot of the mountain where there was a spring and there was water and then they had to lug uh, get the water there and then lug it all the way back in empty oil cans and not many people there had good houses they either just lived in huts or in just outside in the elements uh, he also built one chapel and church uh, per year on average so he's building a new church every year and he did clothing drives and got supplies from the other islands and he set up a store where people could buy clothing and other goods there. And so, uh, just going on to the, the conditions at the time of what people were living in. So, in uh, the area, most people were living in these simple huts that were made of local grasses or sugarcane leaves. And in the winter of 1873 and 1874, there was a, a storm and large... Fierce winds blew out these these shacks, which were not stable, and there were many people that were homeless, and they were they were drenched. They didn't have anywhere to protect themselves, and so he helped to build these uh, houses for them to provide them shelter. And going on to the the moral decay at the time, as he was doing his work, the author notes that uh, such lawlessness 
was the only rule of this place of exile. Quote, Eoli kanawahi ma keia wahi. In this place, there is no law, was the common refrain, refrain that was told by new exiles that came off the boat to the islands. And uh, author goes on to note that for Father Damien, such laxity was intolerable. Not only did it clash with his moral standards, but he also realized that an uninhibited life, almost animal-like, also affected the human dignity of the common life in the settlement. Uh, he notes, quote, In their primitive dwellings, these wretched outcasts live in the most revolting promiscuity without distinction of age or sex, whether old or new cases, all more or less strangers to one another. They filled their time with card-playing, hula-dancing, drinking fermented key root beer, and with all that follows from this, he remembered many years later. Discretion kept him from going into more detail, but it was clear that promiscuity and sexual orgies were rampant on the island. An interesting example of this is noted by uh, Ambrose Hutchison, who was a helper on the island at the time. Uh, he was actually also a superintendent, and he notes that Armed with a stout cane, which a friend gave him, wherever he went on his daily survey of the leper village of Kalawau, he was attracted by the rattling noise of a yuli yuli, a musical instrument used in the performance of the hula dance, honoring the goddess Laka. But when the miscreants were warned in time, they fled through the back door. Damien then found nothing but the calabash gourds or other drinking vessels as silent witnesses of the orgy. Making a quick survey of the interior of the hut, he gave the calabash a cracking whack with his big stick, spilling the contents on the mat-covered floor. Now, uh, he wasn't... This is a kind of a w one example, but it, he wasn't just this, you know, I'm going to go around and just whack people until they get right with the Lord. Um, that was That was not his approach. Um, and going on to his other activities. So, quote, the missionary felt a deep compassion for the woman and children who were used and abused by the men and left afterward like human rags. Many an unfortunate woman had to become a prostitute to obtain friends who would take care of her, and the children, when well and strong, were used as servants. When once the disease prostrated them, such women and children were cast out and had to find some other shelter. Sometimes they were laid behind a stone wall and just left there to die. And at other times a hired hand would carry them to the hospital, Damien concluded bitterly. The so much praised aloha, hospitality of the natives, was entirely lacking here, at least in this respect. Damien also understood that many men suffered surrendered to licentiousness behavior and violence out of sorrow and lowliness. That was certainly the case during his first years on Molokai, when married persons were often separated permanently when the illness affected one of them. Quote, In many cases, separation was more unbearable than the pains of the disease itself. End quote. For this reason, Damien was delighted with the government's measure allowing uninfected men and women to follow their spouses to the place of exile. So, you know, in the beginning you may say, oh, you know, how dare he goes around and, you know, smashes these, these uh, 
these people's things and messes with them. They're just suffering from leprosy. But, you know, the, these, these, especially the, the men were, were abusing the woman and the children on the island. And so I think they deserve that. I think they deserve a good whacking to get, um, to get them out of that, that evil behavior. And, uh, Additional things that he did, he encouraged people to find ways to fill the time and not be idle, like walking, or farming, gardening, and uh, getting potatoes, growing them, which they could sell to other inhabitants of the island, and just give them purpose, give them, make them feel useful there instead of just falling into despair and nothingness. Now, a funny note that, uh, about actually about potatoes, so it's noted by the author that it must have pained him when he realized that a number of lepers also found a way to distill a harmful, intoxicating beverage out of the homegrown sweet potatoes. So I just thought that was funny. It's like, these, damn it, they figured out how to make alcohol. Well, you know, when you give a man enough time and enough potatoes, he's just going to make some sort of alcohol out of it, I guess. Now, another act that he did on the island was establishing an orphanage for boys and eventually one for girls. And there is a good description that is giving, given him by uh, Hutch- Hutchinson, one of the superintendents on the island, and he notes that, quote, a well-knit stocky man of medium height, dark hair, prominent straight-lined nose, plump round smooth face, and wearing gold-rimmed spectacles, garbed in a black cassock with a rope girdle of the same color around his waist, on his head a black stiff brimmed hat held by four bands on the crown. His right hand held the curved end of a stout cane, and the other hand held his folded stole. Damien also provided medical care as best as he could to the sick and uh, helped try to treat their symptoms uh, and also an interesting note about his his experiments and his work with that. So he had learned about a Chinese medicine that was developed to treat leprosy. So he ordered a bunch of it, and to see if it worked, uh, the author notes that, quote, he promptly ordered a large quantity of the medicine. When the powder arrived, he experimented with it. He divided patients with varying stages of leprosy into two groups. In one group, he replaced the medicine with a substitute. He then carefully recorded the changes in the symptoms in the two groups. As Hilde Einikel remarks, quote, Without ever claiming credit for this, he had invented the well-known placebo experiment. So, hey, you know what? We Catholics can add that to our list of accomplishments. So we got, uh, uh, what is it? We got, let's see, the, the Big Bang. Uh, we got uh, Gregor Mendel with... Um, the genetics, and then, uh, hey, now we have Father Damien with the placebo experiment. So who says that the Catholic Church is against science and and uh, the scientific method? Come on, folks. Let's get with the program here. Anyways, back to the book. Now, as part of his treatment of the sick, he did regular rounds visiting them. And so the author notes, quote, Each week he visited every house. From the beginning, he learned to adapt his words to the situation. Quote, A lot of good is to be done with those visits at home, he remarked at the outset. In almost every home, I have to change my tone. Sometimes I use soft words in order to console. Sometimes I add some vinegar in order to make them understand the situation they are in. From time to time, a real storm breaks loose. 
Then I threatened them with terrible punishments whenever they would not change their hearts. Author notes that, in any case, his approach did not harm his popularity. To the contrary, lepers felt that the Belgian missionary, in his angry outbursts, was genuinely concerned about them. After all, he gratuitously and voluntarily gave his life for them. Many converted to Catholicism because of him. And uh, he also set up two organizations, one of men and one of women, who would go around and help visit the sick and the dying to help him out with that mission. Now, something interesting to note is that in the summer of 1877, he wrote down resolutions for himself. He resolved to be less occupied with the material needs of the lepers. He knew that danger was lurking there. To be more orderly in this life, to be more friendly toward everyone, and to waste no time with useless conversations were other points of attention. Now, uh, there is a listing of his personal rule of life, and I would like to read that just to show what his day looked like. So, personal rule of life, 1880. Five o'clock, rise without hesitation. Short prayer, choose subjects for meditation, wash up, and dress neatly. 5.15, enter church, morning prayer, read about subject of meditation, avoid every distraction. Six o'clock, prepare for mass, wait for the faithful to arrive, start mass between 6 and 6.30, on Sundays, continue with the meditation until 7. After Mass, instruction on subject of meditation. Unvest, clean up, put everything neatly in its place. Never leave sacristy in disorder. Afterward, at least half an hour of prayer of thanks in silence. 8 o'clock, light breakfast, no meat, no poi, only coffee, bread, and some eggs. Afterwards, smoke pipe. Discuss a little and arrange household affairs. The chickens, the children. 9 o'clock, divine offense. Avoid interruptions if called away for non-urgent matters. Say you are busy. After breviary, study the theology and sacred scripture until noon. 12. Lunch. No familiar conversation with Cook. Afterward, visit the sick. On horseback along for long distances, otherwise by foot. Before departure, a short visit to the Blessed Sacrament. On the way, no idle conversations. Be friendly to everyone without being familiar. Do not waste time talking. Return home at the latest at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, Vespers and Compline. If people come, catechesis. 6 o'clock, supper. In the winter, a little earlier, so that there is no service personal in the house after dusk. Be strict with any woman or girl who remains in the park after sunset. 7 o'clock, rosary, followed by breviary, matins and louds, and spiritual reading. 9 o'clock, evening prayer in the church, followed by meditations. Go to sleep at the latest at 10. 10 o'clock. If not sleepy, read a chapter in the New Testament. Hey, how about that for a day, huh? Well, and that will close it for this episode today. We will be doing a part two about the rest of his life and time there in Molokai, but uh, just wanted to note some couple things of what we've read so far and I think some takeaways. And once again, the book is The Spirit of Father Damien, The Leper Priest, A Saint for Our Times by Jan de Volder. Great book. So much more detail and other stories in here than what I'm covering today, so make sure to get it. But I just wanted to kind of bring up some points on uh, what we've learned about Father Damien. So he is the obviously the patron saint of leprosy victims, and in his time caring for them, I think we can see the the charity and the love that he had for them, both for their physical 
issues and their spiritual needs. And another character trait of his is self-sacrifice. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you can see it in his drive to become a missionary, to give his life for others for the service of Christ. And as we'll see later on, also obedience is another character of him. And yeah, that'll do it for uh, for, for this uh, podcast episode. And looking forward to talking more about Father Damien in the other episode. But just wanted to leave you with a couple things. Um, so there is a great black and white photo of him in his later years where he has leprosy in late stage and he's holding a sling in his arm and it's uh it's it's kind of just a, a full i would say it's a it's a symbol it's it's a picture of love it's a it's a symbol of his sacrifice that he made for the lepers on Molokai and you can see his face is 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 just pockmarked with all these these uh bacilli um uh, blobs, pestilence on his face, very much disfigured, probably was horrible and and quite painful for him to deal with. Uh, Also his hand, you can see the spots on there, and he's looking straight at you as if to say, you know, I I did this for love of the people on Molokai. Now, uh, I think we should ask for Father Damien's intercession to to give us the, the, to intercede for us, to, for us to receive charity and love of neighbor, and to be able to care for those in our life who are in need of that. And, uh, yeah, so I think moving on to the tobacco portion of this podcast, and I think, uh, Father Damien is, is a more easy saint to, to see the, the connection between tobacco and and the saint itself, because he mentions and writes of, of how he smoked a pipe while he was doing his ministry. And I have a, a, a great quote about uh, smoking today. So it's by the Irish comedian Ed Byrne, and it goes like this. I thought about giving up smoking, but decided not to. I'm not a quitter. And I entirely agree with Ed there. So thank you, Ed. Now, uh, just to uh, give you uh, some some tobacco to to ponder and perhaps uh, purchase and, and smoke on. So, I think for Father Damien, the kind of tobacco blend that he would have smoked would have been Latakia. And Latakia, it's a it's it's a tobacco curing process. So, it it initially came from Syria. It's now mostly produced today in Cyprus. Uh, which is an island in the Mediterranean, and you do that by curing uh, bunches of tobacco over pine or oak wood fires to get that kind of smell. And the the actual smell or taste of the tobacco is is uh, is it's it's a it's a black and smoky taste, and it produces a a thick smoke and it has this intense peppery flavor to it. And I think that goes along well with Father Damien's personality. And his character is he had this fire in him, huh, to serve the lepers and do God's will. So uh, I think Latakia would be a, a great tobacco blend to smoke in honor of, of Father Damien. And uh, some other, you know, personality traits. Uh, he was he was intense. Like I said before, he was self-sacrificial and also fatherly. You know, he provided 
uh, discipline, but also love to his lepers who were essentially his spiritual children on the island. Now, if you're looking for a specific blend of, of pipe tobacco to to smoke, we have a great one by Mac Baron, very common uh, brand of tobacco manufacturer, and they have a specific one called uh, Latakia Flake. So this has fine Cyprian Latakia, and it also has a, a bunch of other blends of tobacco in it. So it has Virginians, uh, it has um, some uh, burley added to it, and it is pressed in these in these square rectangular thin blocks. Kind of kind of looks like beef jerky in a way when when you're looking at it. And it uh, has a like I said a, a peppery taste to it uh, with a latakia for pipe tobacco, and I think that would be an excellent smoke. Uh, it does have a very distinct room note, so it's going to be picked up. And uh, like I said, it has burley, it has latakia, it's, it's or, it has oriental and Virginia blends in it, and the style itself is is English. So. I uh, hope that if you do choose to smoke it, that you have a lovely smoke. Now, what have I been smoking recently? Well, I've been enjoying some great Yuletide tobacco from the shop in Boston. Uh, it's LJ Peretti, famous tobacconist store. And actually, it is much smaller than I expected when I walked in. You know, it's it's right near the Boston Common, and I was expecting this this right on the main street as you're walking along the common you know big storefront maybe maybe two floors nope it's it's kind of in this uh kind of tucked away corner of this building block and you walk in and it's you know i don't know probably about uh, 10 to 15 yards across in length and there's this big wooden bar that surrounds and you kind of come in and then all the tobacconists are behind the bar and they they grab you stuff and it's, it's very much like a like a small convenience store but they have excellent tobacco so highly recommend that has a great room note smells very much like christmas christmas season has that light aromatic smell to it and uh, just a lovely smoke and uh, uh, some other things that i've been up to as uh, uh, there at the, at the time of this recording it is currently the advent season so beginning of December, and I just attended a Ruarte Mass, which is a, a, a early morning Mass where it starts in almost darkness, and the church is only lit by candles, beautiful candles, candelabras, all across the church itself. And as the Mass goes on, the light is dawning and starts to come through the stained glass, and so by the time that you are finished with mass you come out and it is the morning so great way to start your day but also another thing i'm i'm doing is advent 90 so uh this 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 ascetical prayer program and uh, very much relevant for our discussion of father damien who also was very intense and practiced a, a lot of ascetical a lot of ascetical actions in his life. So, if you're looking to be challenged uh, as as a man to to be better at your prayer life and to be just just become a more self-sacrificing uh, man, then I recommend that program, Advent 90 or Exodus 90. 
So definitely a great thing, especially if you have a, a group of friends, guys that you can uh, form a fraternity with and go through the progress, go through the program at the same time. And I think that'll do it. So folks, thanks for listening in. As always, if you have any listener feedback, feel free to leave a comment on smokingwiththesaints.com or email smokewithsaints at gmail.com. And just want to give a shout out to the Hallow phone app and also the Exodus 90 app. And of course, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, join the email newsletter, and if you see me on social media, follow on there, Smoking with the Saints podcast. And once again, folks, thank you for listening. Can't do it without you. Share the share the show with a friend or someone that you love. And in the show notes, there'll be various links to some of the things that we talked about. And uh, definitely check out the website. Uh, there'll be the book. Uh, highly recommend this. Spirit of Father Damien, the Leper Priest, Saint for Our Times by John DeVolder. So until next time, hope you all have a blessed day. Shalom. Warning, tobacco may have been burnt in the making of this episode.